At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Good morning. Several decades ago, a man walked into a Dairy Queen, bought a scoop of ice cream, paid with a $200 bill. The cashier didn't think anything of it, returned $198 in change, and the man drove off. Hours later, as the manager of that Dairy Queen was counting receipts and counting bills, he came across that $200 bill and stopped. Perhaps it was the face of then-President George Bush that was on the front of that bill. Or perhaps it was the fact that on the backside was a picture of the White House with an oil well in front of it that tipped him off that something wasn't quite right with that bill. So he called the police, and no sooner did he call the police, they tracked him down, and that man was arrested for, well, counterfeiting, money, theft by deceit. It was interesting, this morning, as I just slipped or skimmed through the news, a man was arrested for stealing almost $400,000 at Home Depot by substituting real money with counterfeit money. So it still happens. It still happens. But every economy in the world is based on a system of trust, right? I want to purchase something, and I do so by giving you some money that you hope is real so that you, in turn, can give me whatever product or good or service is that I'm trying to acquire, right? And so we go a long way to make sure that these transactions that we make are genuine, that these are real, and that what I'm giving you and what you're giving to me are, in fact, the real thing. Every country, including the U.S., buries a lot of different technologies into our bills to verify that they are, in fact, genuine. In fact, if you've been to the store and you've handed the cashier a $20 bill, they might hold it up to the light and try to see if they can see that that hidden strip that's buried in that dollar bill. Or you'll see them take up a pen and, and swipe it across that bill, trying to see if that paper is, in fact, authentic. What are they trying to do? They're trying to validate that what you have given to them is, in fact, genuine. Because otherwise, what you end up with is theft. It's robbery. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 2, where we continue in our series. This is the last Sunday where we will be in James. Next week, we start a brand new series in Jonah. But this week, we're going to close out James chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 14 to 26. James has been talking about a living faith, and we have been exploring what it looks like to have mature faith. And as we come to verse number 14, James is going to beat us again with a two-by-four. And if you haven't been feeling like you've been beaten by a two-by-four, then you really haven't been listening. I, as a pastor and a preacher, really don't like spending time in the book of James because it feels like every time I'm done studying, I feel like I've been beat up. Because this is, this is accusatory. <laughs> this is James pointing a finger right at me. And I don't know if you've been that way, but I've got to tell you, this is like being beaten by a two-by-four. And today, it's going to be beaten by two two-by-fours because <laughs> this is going to be tough. 
Tough to preach, tough to listen to, but it is the Word of God. And so we are going to talk about faith. We are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone. But is every faith created equal? Is every faith created equal? What we're going to see today as we come to verse number 14 is that James is going to show us two different types of faith. A faith that is genuine and real and a faith that is false and dead. And so the question is, if I can hold up a $20 bill and find out if it's genuine by looking at that strip, that ribbon that's imprinted in that dollar bill, is there a way that I can know that the fake that I have is real, that it is genuine? Because there is such a thing as false faith. And that false faith leads to death. But a genuine faith leads to life. And so how can I tell that I have false faith or genuine faith? Is there a test? I'm so glad you asked that question because the answer is yes. The very simple test that James is going to tell us today is that genuine faith, genuine faith is revealed through actions. Genuine faith is revealed through actions. Just like we check our money and verify that it is valid, we can tell that our faith is in fact genuine and real and life-giving if it has actions tied to it. And that's what we're going to talk about today because James is so thoroughly convinced and so hoping to get us to understand that there is this tight coupling between faith and action, faith and works, that he's going to give us two realities in these verses that will help us understand why those two go so well together. And the first reality is that faith without actions is dead. Faith without actions is dead. Notice verse number 14. <clears throat> what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So James actually here, as we get to this last part of chapter 2, is still unpacking what he talked about in James chapter 1 and verse 27. If you remember, back in James chapter 1 and verse 27, he said, true religion is this, and how does he end that? That we show love to people, especially the poor, the orphan, and the widow. And last week, we saw that we as people need to show love impartially, that we can't judge people by what they look like, that we have to see the heart through the shell, if you remember last week. And that we cannot show partiality. In fact, our, our call as citizens of the kingdom of heaven is to love. Is to love our neighbor as ourselves, To love everyone, rich or poor alike, just as God has loved us. And today is no exception. You see, faith that is genuine has to be lived out in love, and that's what James is saying. And so he says, what good is it, my brothers, if you have faith but no works? Now, we can debate how to answer that question. We can debate <clears throat> the relationship between faith and works. But just in case you had a conflict on how to answer that question, notice James at the end of verse 14 says, can that faith save him? It is clearly evident that James is expecting a no answer to that question. And you're saying, but that doesn't make sense. I thought we were saved by faith alone through grace alone. I'm glad, you, glad you're thinking that. Keep going. Keep thinking. Those are right thoughts. Those are not irreverent. Those are good. But James is going to give us an example. Notice what he says in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, 
And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So here we have an example. Two people come into our church. They don't have the right clothes on. They, they barely have clothes. The clothes that they have are, are ratty. They're unkempt. They're falling apart. And they're malnourished. They're hungry. And we have a chance to meet them. And what do we say in this example? God bless you. I'm praying for you. Have a wonderful day. Any good? Don't just look at me. Answer the question. Any good? Why not? Aren't you blessing them? Aren't you pronouncing a benediction on them? Aren't you saying that you're going to pray for them? No matter how much they love you, no matter how much they buy your kind words, no matter how much they agree with your theology, you haven't done squat for them. Have we? And that's what James is saying. When we see people in need and we just pronounce a blessing and just walk on by, what good is our faith? Because all we're doing is giving lip service without actually showing what our heart believes. And James is going to hit us hard here by saying that if we say we have faith but we are not showing it in our actions, then our faith is in fact dead, useless, hypocritical, and absurd. And that's essentially what he says in verse number 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's useless. There's no point in saying we are a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no point in saying we believe. There's no point in saying with our mouths that we are a follower of Jesus Christ if our lives don't show the truth of the reality that has happened in our lives. We cannot claim to be a Christian if we don't live like a Christian. Tim Keller said it this way, <clears throat> mercy to the full range of human needs is such an essential mark of a Christian that it can be used as a test of true faith. Mercy is not an optional addition to being a Christian. Rather, a life poured out in deeds of mercy is the sign of genuine faith. If there is no mercy toward the needy, then there is no faith. Acts of mercy are evidence of salvation. Did you hear that? Acts of mercy are evidence of salvation. In other words, he just requoted what James said. If your faith doesn't result in works, in action, in movement, it is, help me church, it's dead. Imagine your friend invited you over. Now, many of you may not be car people, but just go with me. Imagine they invited you over and to, to see their brand new car. You pull up in the driveway and right next to you is this brand new 2022 Mustang GT convertible. It's beautiful. It's got a beautiful racing stripe down the middle, the sleek curves of that vehicle. I work for Ford. I've got to use a Mustang, all right? And I think it's a beautiful vehicle. And you look at that grill. You love that front grill, and you love that Mustang logo, and Vince is over here going, why can't you use a Corvette? It's all right. Those are beautiful, too. And then you do what normally you do with cars. You pop the hood, and then you look inside the hood, and you stop. There's no engine in there. And now you're not sure if your friend really has a car. <laughs> because it looks like a car. It smells like a car. But it's not going anywhere like a car, is it? And that's the problem with some of our faiths. 
We have the shell, the frame, the outline of faith, but we have no engine. And just like a car with no engine cannot get you anywhere, faith without works is dead. I hope that makes sense to you. I can, I can stay on this topic for a little longer if you'd like. But faith without works is, in fact, dead. And that's the unfortunate truth, that false faith in this world is a reality. There are people sitting here today listening to me. There are people in our churches today who come week after week, but their faith is, in fact, dead. And so the question we have to answer this morning is, how is our faith? Is our faith, the faith that we profess, the faith that we believe, the faith that comes out of our mouth, is that faith genuine and real, and that is it lived out in our lives, or is it in fact dead because there's nothing coming out of our lives? That's what James is trying to get us to. I don't mean to beat you by a two-by-four, but I told you this is kind of difficult, that this is hard-hitting, that we all need to take a good look at our lives and ask the question, is our faith genuine? Just like counterfeit money or cars without engines, you don't want to end up with counterfeits or lemons. You don't want to have counterfeit faith. You want a faith that's genuine, that's real, that is alive, that can bring glory to God. And that is James's point. And so as James highlights the reality that faith without works is dead, the second reality as we come to verse 18 is that faith with action is alive. Faith with action is alive. Notice verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So let's just pause right there for just a minute. You see, Paul, James is trying to build this correlation between faith and works, right? That's what he's been saying. There are, so there are those who argue that, that there is no relationship. We're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone. There is no works. Therefore, faith and works totally different things, they don't connect. And so James asks this question. All right, for those of you who believe that, show me your faith with no works. Go ahead, I'll wait. Any of you believe that to be true? Go ahead, show me your faith. Anybody got faith that you can show me without works? James is saying, go ahead. I double dog dare you. <laughs> show me. You can't, can you? You can't show faith without works. And James says, that's why I can show you my faith by showing you the things that I do. That's why faith and works are connected. So James is willing to show his faith by pointing to his actions. Now James is going to give us three examples in these verses that show the connection between faith and works. And the first example shows us that there is no use in just having an intellectual understanding or belief about something, that a doctrinal confession is useless. How do I know that? Notice what he says in verse number 19. You see, the verse number 19 comes from the Old Testament. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's called the Shema. It's what the Jews would recite in their prayers every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Jewish Shema. 
And James said, good job. You guys are great. You're doing well. You know the truth. But guess what? The demons know that too. They believe it too. By the way, the demons have better theology than we do. You realize that? They know who God is. They know who Jesus is. In fact, as you read the Gospels over and over and over again, while nobody else knew who Jesus was, every time Jesus encountered a demon, you always knew the demon knew Jesus. I know you. You're the Son of God. And everybody's like, what? But the demons know. The demons know who God is. The demons know the scriptures are true. The demons know Jesus is the Son of God. And then James says, not only do they know, they shudder. The word shudder means to tremble with fear. Why? Because they know God and they know what's coming. And so they're quaking in their demon boots because they know judgment day is coming. But what's the problem? While they have intellectual assent, while they have an emotional response, while they can cite the creed and believe it, there's no surrender in their life. Demons can't be saved because they're unwilling to surrender. Friends, if you have faith but no works, if you have an intellectual understanding and even an emotional response, but there's no works attached to your faith, James is saying you have demonic faith. That's what he said. I didn't say that. Don't, get, don't send me an email. You have demonic faith. Faith without works is dead. The second example he goes to in verse number 21 is the example of Abraham. Notice what he says. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith. So here we have the example of Abraham. Abraham is the patriarch of faith. God called him in Genesis chapter 12, said, come out from your people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son. You're going to have people and land and blessing and everything else. He had to wait 25 years before God fulfilled that promise of a son. But the Bible says that Abraham believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. But then we read that God after Abraham's son Isaac gets to be a teenager, God said, hey, I want you to do something, Abraham. I want you to go sacrifice your son. You want me to do what? But we don't read that in the scriptures. We read the next morning, Abraham gets up, takes Isaac, goes to the mountain, and what does he do? He builds an altar, lays Isaac on top, and he's ready to plunge that knife into his son because God told him so. And at that moment, God stops his hand. Why? God says, now I know your faith is real. Did God not know that his faith was real? Like, is God up in heaven wondering, I wonder if Abraham's faith is really true. I'll give him, I'll give him a test. Is that what that means? No, God knows. He's validating and demonstrating the truth of Abraham's faith for Abraham's sake, not for God's. You see, by asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham was now validating his faith. The fact that he was declared righteous by faith is validated as he obeyed and obediently sacrificed or willing to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And so that's what we see. Abraham's faith was active in his actions and it was through his actions that his faith was completed or brought to fullness. 
And so as a result of Abraham's faith, he receives righteousness and he receives friendship with God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Notice verse number 24 before I get to that point. Verse number 24 says that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, wait a minute. I thought we started this message with we're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone. Where does James get off by saying all this? I, hey, wait a minute. I, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I confess my sin. I come to church every day, every Sunday. Where does James get off by saying, I am not justified unless I have works? Isn't this contradiction to what James said, Paul said in Romans? Isn't that what we studied weeks ago when we studied Romans, that justification is by grace alone through faith alone? You remember that lesson? Is, do we have a contradiction in the Bible? <gasps> we found it, folks. We found the first. No, we didn't. <clears throat> No, we didn't. There's no contradiction. So let me help you understand that Paul and James are not at odds with each other. They're just looking at justification from two different sides. Let's just bring some clarity to this point because there's lots of people confused. Our salvation has a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. We were saved, we're being saved, and we will one day fully and finally be saved. Amen? So there was a day when God intersected our lives, that we heard the gospel, we were convicted of our sins, we were convinced of who Jesus Christ was, we recognized that his sacrifice on the cross was real, is true, it was for us, and we confessed our sins, we received Jesus into our lives, we were saved. God came into our lives, he gave us his spirit, he adopted us into his family. Tell me if any of this is wrong, okay? We're good, we're still good? We're good. All of this happened, on a day, we were saved. That's what Paul is talking about. That salvation that occurred on the day you accepted Christ and confessed your sin, that was all God. God did the sacrifice. God did the convicting. God did the saving. God did everything. You did nothing. nothing. All you did was say, thank you, Jesus. Amen? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, plus nothing else. Is there a good amen in that one? Amen. We were saved. That's what Paul is talking about. What James is talking about is from this moment of salvation all the way through the day God calls us home, this period of time, present and future, is what James is focused on. He's focused not on the day of salvation, the day you were declared righteous, the day you were justified, when he talks about justification, he's talking about the now and the future. If that is real, if that day Jesus came into your life, if that day the Spirit of God came and transformed you and changed you and made you new and gave you a new birth and he filled your life with his Spirit, his love and his peace, if that day is real, then all of that will be lived out in the here, the now, and the future. Amen? <clears throat> That's what he's saying. If there was a genuine conversion, if that day was real, and your life was transformed, then you are now a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you will now live consistent with that new kingdom. 
You are now citizens of a new kingdom. And if your life doesn't show that, then that day wasn't real. Does that make sense? So when Paul and James are talking about justification, they're talking about two different sides. Paul is talking about what happened on the day of salvation. James is talking about what happens after that moment. And so for Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. Salvation moment. Genesis chapter 22, almost 30, maybe 40 years later, as he's ready to plunge that knife into his son, God says, stop. Your faith has been validated. Your transformed life has been shown. And to demonstrate the truth of what's in your heart, you are a friend of God. Make sense? That's why faith and actions have to go together. If what had happened in the past on the day of salvation is true, then there must be something you can point to that says, aha, that's the proof that I am a child of God. If you can't point to that, friends, we need to talk. I'll be here after the service. I'll be here all day for you if you need me to. Pastor Vince will be here too. I'm signing you up, Pastor Vince. <laughs> we need to talk. Because if there isn't fruit, then there is no root. Now imagine I have an apple tree that I've planted. Imagine. And I planted that <clears throat> apple tree in the ground, and after six years, it's this tall. And there's no apple trees. What would you conclude? What would you conclude? It may not be an apple tree. I thought it was an apple tree. I mean, an apple tree after six years should be at least my height, if not taller. And it should have some rod, nice red or, or, or green apples on it. It's this tall and there's no fruit. There must no be, there, that must not be an apple tree. Friends, if you have faith, but you have no works, maybe that's not faith. And that's the point that James is making. <clears throat> I want you to um, notice Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 puts this in a nutshell. This is Paul talking. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the point of salvation. It's grace alone. No works. We can add nothing to our salvation so that there's nothing we can boast about. It was all God. But then notice verse number 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? I can't hear you. For what? Oh. Hey, wait, I thought... Ah. Salvation is by God. That transformed life results in good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should do. Salvation is all God. The rest of it, empowered by His Spirit, generates actions, generates fruit, generates things that people can see. Faith is not dead, friends. Faith is not static. Faith is movement. Movement with the Spirit of God to generate fruit that can be seen. <clears throat> as, as John Calvin once said, it is faith alone that saves, but faith that saves is never alone. So that's the example of Abraham. And if that wasn't enough for us, James goes on to show us another example. He goes and pulls out Rahab in verse number 25. He says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers <clears throat> and sent them out by another way. You know, Rahab is as opposite of Abraham 
as you can possibly get. Abraham was wealthy. He was a prominent figure. He was a man. He was the father of faith. He was a patriarch. He was large in his society. <coughs> Rahab, on the other hand, was poor, immoral. What do you know about Rahab? She was a... Oh, you all know that. I mean, can you imagine going through the, all of history? Like, Abraham's a f f friend of God and a father of faith. Rahab is a prostitute. Gee, thanks, God. I appreciate that great witness. <clears throat> she was a minor character, in fact, insignificant in her society. These are as opposite as you can get. Joshua chapter 2 has her story. And in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends two spies into the land of Canaan to go spy out the land, specifically the city of Jericho. And they go through the city of Jericho, and they come to Rahab's house. And while they're in Rahab's house, the, the guards of the city are tipped off. They come to Rahab's house. They look for the spies. But Rahab has, Rahab has hidden them, and she points the guards in a different direction. And while the guards are going one direction, she lets them down a rope on the side of the, of the walls of their city. And while she's doing that, she says, the news about what your God has done has reached our ears, and we're quaking in our boots, and our hearts have melted. Everyone is afraid of the God of Israel. So when you come to take the city, have mercy on me. And those spies say, we will. Bring your family into this home. Keep that red cord tied outside your window, and when we come, you will be safe. And that's exactly what happened. When Israel marched around that city and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, there's one piece of the wall, Rahab's wall, that didn't come down. God saved her because of her faith. And when you fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, Rahab became part of the family of God, and God blessed her and honored her faith so that she is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of her faith that was demonstrated in action. Notice what James says now at the end of verse, or in verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. <clears throat> so friends, perhaps it's time to take a look at our lives. Is there something we can point to that says, ah. Now I'm not asking you to go run off and go do a bunch of things. It's not the point of the message. The point of the message is if the transformation in our heart is real, it will be seen outwardly. There will be a display. There will be a change. There's something people can see. The fruits of the Spirit will be evident. The fact that we are serving the body of Christ will be evident. The fact that we're reaching out in mercy to those who have not will be evident. There will be something we can point to that says that person knows God and lives the truth and the transformation in their heart. If we can't, James says, your faith is dead. Perhaps you've heard the story of Blondin. Blondin was a, acro uh, a tightrope walker, an acrobat. And his greatest feat was when he put a, a tightrope across the Niagara Falls Gorge. Have you heard of that story? He, and he did that on several occasions. He had a tightrope across the Niagara Falls Gorge, and he walked across that thing on that tightrope many times. And he did it in different variations. Once he, he did it blindfolded. Once he crossed that Niagara Falls Gorge on, a, on stilts. Then on one occasion, he went across that gorge on that tightrope using a wheelbarrow. He pushed a wheelbarrow back and forth. And everybody, you know, clapped. That was awesome. That's beautiful. 
Then he, then he got to the other side, back to where he started, and he said, all right, how many of you believe I can do that again? And they're all, yeah, we believe it, we believe it. Can I have a volunteer? <laughs> and there was silence. There's not a single hand that went up. Why? There's a difference between believing and doing. Friends, that's the point James is making. You can believe all you want. You can say you know the truth. You can believe the truth. You can fear the truth. The demons do too. But if it doesn't result in action, if you don't get in the wheelbarrow, if you don't surrender your life to Jesus Christ, and if you're not letting the Holy Spirit move you in mercy and in grace to meet the needs of those who are in need, then there is something wrong. And James says your faith is dead. It's useless. Friends, that's not the kind of faith we want. Faith we want needs to be genuine. Just like a dollar bill that has the imprint that can prove it's genuine or in a car with an engine, you want your faith to be genuine. So this morning, perhaps you're here and you're assessing your life and you're coming up with the conclusion that your faith is dead. Friends, <clears throat> please don't run away from here full of guilt because I want to assure you that there is no sin that our God cannot cleanse you from. Amen? You cannot run so far that he's not right beside you. There is no place you can go or hide that he cannot find you. There isn't anything you can do that he can't save you from. So may I invite you back to the cross. Pastor Vince <clears throat> reminded us that we take communion in remembrance of him. And that remembrance should take us back 2,000 years ago to a hill called Calvary, where Jesus hung on three nails beaten, bruised, bloodied, hanging there not because of any fault of his own, but because he looked across time and space and he saw all of us and he said, I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I'm dying for you. And then at the very end, he said, it is finished. The wrath of God against sin, fully and finally paid for. So that those of you who have put your faith and trust in him, those of you who have put your faith and trust in his finished work will be saved. There's nothing we can add to salvation. There's nothing we need to do. There's no cleanup we have to do. All we have to do is bend the knee and say, Lord, I am sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And would you come into my heart and would you be the Lord and would you be the Savior of my life? And the Bible says the moment you do, you will be declared righteous, you will be justified. Salvation is guaranteed. God will fill your heart and when you are transformed, you will live in the power of the Spirit, displaying the fruits of the Spirit, living, acting, doing the things God has called you to do. If that is you, there will be people by the window over there, by the exit sign, who would love to pray for you who'd love to encourage you, who'd love to share Jesus with you. But perhaps you're here and maybe our faith is not as genuine as we thought. My friends, the cross is still available. The Father's arms are still open. Why don't we re rededicate our lives and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I have not listened. I have not obeyed. I have fallen short. Would you forgive me? Would you empower me to live for you? <clears throat> We have a food pantry that needs volunteers. We have a children's ministry that needs volunteers. We have people all across this community who have needs. Who is God calling you to call? Maybe to cook a meal for. Maybe to give a word of encouragement. Maybe a hug. 
Friends, whatever God is calling you to do, if you are a child of God, do it. Do it in obedience to God. Do it because your faith demands that action. Do it for the glory of God. Amen? The worship team is going to come up. And as they do, we're going to sing another song. But if you need prayer, if you have a burden, if you want to know Jesus Christ, if you want to rededicate your life, there will be people by the window who would love to pray with you, who would love to take your burden, your need to the Lord in prayer. In the meantime, why don't we bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your reminder. Thank you for reminding us that faith without works is dead. But the opposite is also true. Faith that is alive can be seen in action. May we be people who are so full of the goodness of God that we cannot help but be merciful, but be gracious, but be loving to all those you put into our lives. May this church demonstrate the truth of the reality that Jesus is here, that Jesus lives in our lives by the things that we do and the words that we say. And may we be careful to give you the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.